your ass better call somebody. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, Destination Debbie is proud to bring to you its Dynasty Tag Team Champions of the World, the McNutted Michael Crystal, the ATM Adam McFerrin, the 4D Chess Podcast. And of course, if you're not down with that, we've got two words for you. Welcome back in, everybody. We got another edition of the 4D Chess Dynasty podcast coming at you right now. This is a special one, kind of bittersweet in a way. This is episode 12, a dozen. And as always, I'm your host, Mike. You can find me on Twitter at Iowa Michael. And of course, the reason it's bittersweet is my man, Adam, who always rocks with me. This is the last podcast he will be doing in his old crib. Because big congrats to the big homie. He's got a house. He's moving in this weekend. Big congrats. How we doing, Adam? Are you excited for this move? You're going into a new house, buddy. This is awesome. I'm excited. It's the off season. We're talking dynasty strategy. We're talking dynasty thoughts. And we're upgrading, man. Going into a a new house. It's going to be bittersweet. You know, all the start here at the apartment, the shit show podcast we did, 4D start. But I'm excited, man. Excited for all in. It's so chaotic right now. How ca- how crazy has this free agency and trading period been? Like, I, I don't think I've, as long as I've ever followed football, I've never seen anything this crazy. It's honestly, there's there are certain leagues I'm in where the real NFL is putting all the dynasty trades in those leagues to shame. Yeah. To absolute shame. Bro, this is like some Madden shit. You get with your your buddies and you run an online franchise or something. Yes, yeah, it's some crazy ass shit that's hitting, going on. Big names everywhere, man. <laughs> I'd be remiss if I didn't get out a few particulars before we dive too farther in. If you want to follow Adam, you can follow him at ATM4DChess on Twitter. And as always, make sure you're hitting up that Patreon, Patreon.com forward slash All Gas. Get you part of the Destination Devi crew, which you are listening to on Destination Devi. If you're kind enough, please leave a review and give us a nice rating. Please, please, if you like what we're doing, it helps everybody out here at Destination Debbie that you give us a review and a rating. But, Adam, let's dive right into it because we got to witness a major trade today, didn't we? We got to see it go down. Tyreek Hill to the Miami Dolphins. Did you think Tyreek Hill was getting traded this offseason? How fucking crazy is that? Devontae Adams. Understandable the contract situation, you know, some of these trades, the Russ Wilson thing, we knew that was coming. The the Deshaun Watson, we knew that was coming. Tyreek Hill was not a name, I don't think, was on very many people's radars of getting traded into the Miami Dolphins of all places. Tyreek Hill gets traded for what was it, a first round, a second round, two fourths, and a six? Yeah. That's a lot of picks for a wide receiver, and he gets a massive contract. But big congrats to Tyreek for uh, securing the bag. Big congrats to the Dolphins for getting that piece that they feel like could help him get to the playoffs, maybe put him over the top. Let's let's dive into it a little bit here, Adam. From the Chiefs' perspective, Patrick Mahomes in Dynasty, 
dynasty degenerates, you're listening to this. Does this change your opinion on Patrick Mahomes at all in your dynasty ranks, losing Tyreek Hill? I'm going to say no. Does it give him someone that takes off the top that gives him that maybe little extra, you know, bang here and there every week? Sure. But we've seen Patrick Mahomes throw those deep passes to other people too. I'm not convinced that they're not going to just utilize one of those picks to go draft another receiver that's really good too. Patrick Mahomes is so good. Like his dynasty value really is because I've seen that he is an absolute elite passer and he's extremely young. And it was built in that Tyreek Hill wasn't going to do that forever, right? Like he's just gone earlier. Like does it hurt him a little bit? Sure, absolutely. But does it change his dynasty rank for me drastically? No. Uh, it changes for me, but like you just mentioned, caveat there, drastically, no. Yeah. I made it fish, Facebook official on our ranks, on our Patreon today. Josh Allen? Josh Allen. Me That's and him fair. are officially in a relationship as my QB1 in Dynasty. But Patrick Mahomes is two. Yeah. It really doesn't matter to me what you want to rank. They're, they're both a tier of their own at the quarterback position. So, yeah, one, two. Travis Kelsey. I got a feeling – even if they bring in – there are some rumors, so let's just caveat. There are some rumors that Casey is interested in DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett from Seattle, which would make a lot of sense. But assuming that they don't get one of those done, they draft a rookie like you're talking about, a Drake London, a Garrett Wilson, Jahan Dotson, Christian Watson, whoever it may be. Sure. What does this outlook look for Travis Kelsey? Because me personally, I think it makes Travis Kelsey all that more valuable, especially for this upcoming year because he is now the – the guy, the most trusted weapon on that offense for Patrick Mahomes, the one he has the most rapport with. Do you feel the same about Travis Kelsey? I think that's the one person on the Chiefs that I, I would say shifts the most. It's not drastic because I think Kelsey was really good. But the one thing I'll say is this. We, we were getting a little afraid of his age, and that's still something to be concerned with. But Tyreek Hill being gone – Man, I, I think there's going to be other people that are going to be involved in this offense. I think Patrick Mahomes is good enough to throw the ball anywhere. But they will force feed this man. Like Travis Kelsey is going to get every bit of volume that he can handle. And that could be something that extends the life of him even a little bit because if they force him targets for another year or two longer than we expected him to be peak tight end, that could maybe extend the shelf life a little bit. So I think Travis Kelsey does benefit a little bit from this trade here. He has to. I like it. I like it. Juju Smith-Schuster. I went back and forth on this in my head all day. You know from our previous talks, previous leagues we're in, I've always kind of been a Juju lover. I don't think this helps nor hurts him, in my opinion. I think it just it's a neutral move for him. Yes, he's going to get more of the – lion's share of the work with Tyreek Hill gone. But we've also seen that Juju never really operates real great when he's the primary focus of the offense. I would say that maybe Travis Kelsey takes some of that off, but Travis Kelsey is also going to operate in the same kind of ranges, zones of the field as Juju. So for me, it's just a neutral move for Juju. Miko Hardman, I don't even want to talk about. Like, just get this shit the fuck out. When, when, when does the Miko Hardman thing 
Like, how do when do we get to finally put it to bed, Mike? I've just never, <laughs> never. It's, it's like the toddler that won't go to sleep. He's just, can we get this thing to bed? It's just, it's not going to happen. Well, let's just let's just throw it out in the space. Miko Hardman is the Chris Herndon of wide receivers. <laughs> That's the Chris fucking Herndon of wide receivers. Miko Hardman. You I heard it here one. first. I love that one. That's a good one, McNutted. So Juju, I think the way you broke it down, my thought process was. I guess it ends up kind of in a neutral because he's already a projection in KC. My thought was going to be that Hill being that field stretching guy actually helps softens up where Juju's going to be. You, Cause you, a lot of times with KC, right? You can't focus on Hill or Kelsey's going to burn you. You can't focus on Kelsey because Hill's going to burn you. And then if you add Juju into that mix, he doesn't going to get that crazy volume, but he's going to get soft coverage and probably is going to do really well because of that. So Hill leaving does take that element away, but I think that efficiency is going to be made up some in volume now with him being, let's say Travis Kelsey's the featured weapon in the offense, but Juju Schuster is now the featured wide receiver in the offense. So I think they kind of offset each other and like, I don't, I, it doesn't move where I value him in dynasty. I, I'll say that. Fair enough. Well, let's uh, head out to the East Coast and let's talk about Miami. And I'm going to start it off if we're going to talk about Miami by my guy, Tua. Woo! He was a huge buy for me all offseason. A lot of things that I was really promoting was better weapons and a better offensive line. And we just saw in the last two days, they definitely got him a better weapon in that Taron Armstrong, Taron Armstead signing. Jeez, woo, we're roughing it out here. Sorry, Taron, if you're listening, <laughs> not. <laughs> really helps that offensive line situation. Tua, big bump for me when I'm looking at my rankings. When I pull them up today and going back and forth, and I'm trying to be logical. I want to be logical. So if you want to go and sell Tua on this news, I wouldn't blame you one bit, but I moved Tua up to QB 16 for me, right behind one Aaron Rodgers and one right in front of my love, which hurt me to do. Oh, man. This had to be Matt Jones. Yeah. Yeah. It was tough. It was tough. But I can't look at that that offense with Tyreek Hill now, Jalen Waddell, franchise take, Mike Kosecki, better offensive line. Everything that I wanted, Mike McDaniel coming in with that San Francisco-type running scheme. Wheels up for Tua, in my opinion, but not crazy wheels up. I'm not elevating him into QB1 status. I'm not taking Malik Willis or Jalen Hurts or Aaron Rodgers after Tua Tungavailoa. But I had a Mac Jones. I got to do it, and it pains me. But I also kind of love Tua. Maybe it's an Alabama thing, right? Maybe it's Alabama quarterbacks minus Jalen Hurts. But Tua... Up in my rankings for me. Yeah, I think there's no way around him going up in your rankings. To whatever degree, I I may not argue too much. But I think, Mike, I think a lot of the Flores thing that happened this offseason, getting rid of him, was apparently he wasn't so in on Tua. And he was pushing for Watson and other things to happen at quarterback. They made it pretty clear. We're rocking with Tua. So... I think when you think about this, Mike, when you talk about what made Tua, when Tua was really good in Alabama, part of what made him really good is everything you're seeing on the NFL football field today still is he's very accurate, but he's not a big risk taker and he doesn't want to push the ball downfield unnecessarily. 
So what does this do? Why is this the move that they make? Well, obviously they're able to because Tua is making not that much on a rookie contract for another few years and then the fifth-year option on top of it. But what was he good in Alabama doing? There's guys running wide open. There's a bunch of elite speed field stretchers and separators. When he came in, Mike, his rookie season, and this is part of why I think I was in on Tua when a lot of people were getting out. When he was throwing the ball to guys like Devontae Parker, who, who they're not, he's not a separator. He's a high point, go get the football yeah. wide receiver, right? That's Tua's strength is getting the guy in space that separates and putting it right on him and letting him run after the catch. These two guys, and now they have in Waddle and Tyreek Hill, I think they really help open up Tua. So, so it's wheels up for Tua. And I think also to that point, if Tua does not excel in this situation, then you make you could probably have pause. But I think right now, what we're seeing, the way they're building this, like you said, with all these moves, I, I think you have to have him where you have him um, ahead of Mac Jones. And if he starts showing it on the football field, if these guys are getting open and he's starting to really sling it and getting yards and stuff, I could start moving him up even a little more. But for right now, I think that's appropriate. I think it's the the correct spot for him, a, a good starting point, and then we'll reevaluate as we get more information and actually get to see him play. One of the things I did want to point out in regards to Tua was I saw a lot of, you know, the people are going to be out there doing their bullshit on Twitter, right? This is a great acquisition for Teddy Bridgewater. Man, stop. Stop. I get it. I get what you're doing, but just stop. But some of the other memes and like trolling that came out was, you know, Tyreek Hill wide open 60 yards down the field and two is pissed because he can't throw it that far. Did you know, Adam, little fun fact here for the 40 chess audience for you at all. I I want this one. Did you know last year, 2021, Patrick Mahomes longest pass that he completed in the air was 54.7 yards. Okay. Do you think that Tua threw one longer than that? Before I knew the space the question was being asked upon, I would have said no. But being that this is 4D, I'm going to go ahead and say it must have been a little bit longer. It was a little bit longer. 55.1 yards, longest pass completed in the air last year. Who was it to? Mac fucking Hollins. (laughs) Eagles Eagles legend. Eagles legend. Love it. Uh, it's disgusting. It's absolutely <laughs> disgusting. But yeah, a little fun nugget for you in case you got anybody out there in your in your leagues, you know, touting off their bullshit, trying to have fun. You can just come over the top and be like, hey, I heard this stat on 40. This is per next gen NFL stats. So I didn't come up with it. I'm not out here tracking them <laughs> like some crazy man. But I had to look it up because I was like, I wonder if Patrick Mahomes really does complete passes farther than Tua. Holy shit. Look at that. <laughs> To actually do farther than Patrick Holmes last year. Wouldn't you know? Uh, good times. Let's I, move I, on. I love, I love, real quick, I love, uh, We last episode, you probably, if you tuned in, you heard, you know, what we did and who did what. And just so you know, when it comes to 4D, what I speak here is never going to be bullshit I'm not doing in the streets. Because guess who got to it? 4-7 and was getting kind of clown for, oh, you traded up for the guy, a couple spots. <laughs> Miss me with the third and 23. Tua to the moon. 
I love it. I love it. Two to the moon. You are excited about it. It doesn't matter though, because I'm taking down that entire league year one. Year two, maybe your year, buddy. Hey, I'll you know what? You. Year two. I'll tell you what, man. I'm not. I'm not gonna fight you year one. I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna let you have it, big homie. I'm. I'm gonna come back when you're. When you're through. When all those running backs are aging and you're. You're pivoting the other way. I'll. I'll pivot to go win. Well, I, I appreciate the uh, the the patience and, and the graviats. You know, let me let me have your one. <laughs> let me stick it to the patrons just one time, right? And then I'll let you come in and take over. I'll rebuild for free for the next six years. I'm happy. Love it. Let's move on to Tyreek Hill, the man of the hour, the day, getting traded. How do you think, in your opinion, does this affect Tyreek Hill's dynasty value going from Patrick Mahomes to Tua, who we just talked up? Listen, I, as much as I do love Tua, and I think he's good, I, I, I cannot lie and say this does anything but hurt Tyreek a little bit. Now, I, I don't think it like – I don't think you need to panic on Tyreek Hill, right? But I do think – all right, Mike, let, let, let's be clear about this from where I stand. Like, I haven't checked – Dynasty nerds, shout out JWAC and Dynasty nerds, all those guys. But I don't think I have many, if any, shares of Tyreek Hill. Yeah. And that's because of our process where, especially at wide receiver, I don't tend to roster a lot of the older guys. Adams was one of the exceptions I had. If I have shares of Hill, it's very few. So it's not someone I'm heavily exposed to. But with with everything going on with him to Miami, man, you, you have to lower it, especially because of the age. I don't think as much as we said that Tua threw the ball longer than Mahomes, that it's going to be Tua bombing it downfield to him all all day and being able to hit him at will down the field. I think Tyreek Hill will be involved plenty. I think he's still going to be a very good wide receiver, but I do not think that he offers the ceiling that he used to offer in KC. And ultimately, that was one of the big pieces about him was he was boomer bust, but when he boomed, good Lord, he boomed, right? So you got to lower your expectations, I think, a little bit for Tyreek Hill. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Jalen Water real quick. Uh, Jalen Water real quick. And then I'll uh, I kind of just compress this, right? Because okay, I didn't sure. make changes in both of the rankings that, that I will get into. But Jalen Waddle, do you think this helps or hurts Jalen Waddle? Or do you think this was the proper market correction? Because I have seen that floating out there that I think people, there are some people out there me included, thought Jalen Waddle might have been – people might have been getting a little bit over their skis on Jalen Waddle, yes. being drafted a little too aggressively yep. for what he actually was. We always ranked him appropriately, right? We always had him in that Deontay Johnson, DJ Moore tier, right? And if you wanted to pick one or the other, I wasn't going to argue with you. But I figured it was a fair enough tier from what we had seen. But do you think he would fall down ranks – or stayed the same, or is now valued appropriately in your mind? I think it should be a slight lowering. And I think probably for the majority of, I shouldn't say the majority, there, there was plenty of people that I saw valuing Waddle really, really high. Like, we saw him going in the third in some of these startups. To ADP, me, that was always... ADP had him at wide receiver six off the board. Though The Adiko, shout out to Adiko FF, who does a fantastic job tracking startup ADPs on sleeper, not mock drafts, 
not just some people just doing whatever the fuck they not keep trade cutting it. Real money leagues, re, real leagues on sleeper pulling the API. He was going as wide receiver six in the last week in the second round. So just as okay. a reference for those of you listening out there, when I'm so talking about go. people being over their skis, that felt very aggressive. So go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut. Yeah, you no, I was going to say. No, no, I was going to say I've seen him going a lot of times in the third, but it wasn't going to shock me to see him go in the second because of where people are valuing him. Ultimately, that was always too rich for me by a decent margin. I, I don't think this is something that if you were in on – see, here's the thing. If you were in on Waddle and this makes you really, really seismically move him down, I, I don't think that was wise to ever have him that high because – I think he earned some targets. I think he's going to be someone that earns targets and Tua likes to throw to. But if just Tyreek Hill coming over, now granted, he is someone that's going to demand targets. He's got a huge contract. Tua is going to feed him the ball. But Jalen Waddle should not be drastically shift from people that loved him because of that. And if that's the case, there was a there was a flaw in the way you were processing and, and valuing Jalen Waddle. So to me, Jalen Waddle's just fine. Like, do I move him down a little bit? Maybe, but not 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 drastically. I, I'll maybe put him at the bottom of that same tier, maybe even slightly down to the next tier. But I, I'm not moving Jalen Waddle too much. I think he's still someone that's going to command a lot of targets. Maybe not this crazy amount of targets that people were projecting he was going to have this season. But I, I'm still someone that is okay with Waddle. I think he's probably a High-end wide receiver, two in Dynasty, though. And if you had him ahead of that, it, you, it was a little too aggressive. Um, I'm with you on that one, buddy. We had him in our composite ranks as wide receiver 14 before the news of the trade. And spoiler alert for all you out there, Jalen Waddle is still wide receiver 14. 14. Yeah. But it's not because things didn't move around him. Because Tyreek Hill, looking at it today while I was at work, fell down the rankings pretty hard for me. Yep. Relatively hard. Let's just say that because he was in that upper tier above like Deontay Johnson. He was in with Stefan Diggs and Devontae Adams, right? Some of the, the older assets and wide receiver assets that you really like. But one of the things that was attractive about Tyreek Hill was that connection with Patrick Mahomes. And like you had mentioned, that boom bust, right? The, the fact he could go off for 60 any given week just at random. Going to Miami, I don't think, like you had said, his his boom potential is is as sound as we were hoping it was going to be. And then he does have decent enough co- co- target competition in a young guy like Jalen Waddle. So for dynasty purposes, when we make our rankings, we're always thinking about if we're in a startup right now facing this choice, who would we take? us personally in a startup and we generally lean towards the youth because it gives you options flexibility to pivot to go different directions doesn't lock you into a direction so when i'm looking at tyreek hill i had to move him down to wide receiver 15 and i just behind jalen waddle i i don't know how spicy that's going to be or how that's going to be received but when looking at it Terry McLaurin was just a tier below Jalen Waddle for us. Tyreek Hill dropping down that far makes me move Terry McLaurin up. Terry McLaurin moves up for me because he's the only guy basically in Washington. And one thing Carson Wentz loves to do is just chuck fucking YOLO balls down the field. Yeah, so yeah. Terry McLaurin is a very good wide receiver. 
And I don't think it's a stretch to say that Terry McLaurin is going to play with the best quarterback he's ever played with. I know it's disgusting being that it's Carson Wentz, but Carson Wentz is better than Taylor Heineke. He's better than Kyle fucking Allen. He's better than Dwayne Haskins. He's better than whoever the hell else Washington has trotted out over Terry McLaurin's time. I have to move him up. So I move him to wide receiver 13. I put Jalen Waddle at 14. And I put Tyreek Hill at 15. And the tiebreaker between Waddle and Hill is just the age factor. Yep. Tyreek Hill, if I was at the point where he had fallen far enough in my rankings or in a startup and I was going for more of a compete mode I really wanted to try, absolutely. I would just take Tyreek Hill over Jalen Waddle. If I want to stay flexible in a startup, I'm going to take Jalen Waddle over Tyreek Hill and just bank on some upside, some value increase. Yeah, I mean that, that that goes that goes to everything we just talked about last episode, right? Especially where you're going to have to draft these guys in the startup. It's at the point where you still would prefer to be flexible as opposed to going rigid. So if you have the choice, I can't see how you'd. Re- It'd be really tough for me to argue the other side um, and, and just start up and being flexible because. There's not as much out. If Tyreek Hill does not put up elite numbers this season, he he's going to be someone that you have a hard time getting out of what you draft him at in this year's startup. So that's definitely something to keep in mind, Dynasty Degenerates, when you take Tyreek Hill now in startups after this trade. I do have some reservations, too. I know we've, we've seen some in the past, some receivers change teams in the offseason, some big-name receivers and go on to have good fantasy success. But I'm not a data nerd, but I would be likely to tell you that people out there who really study this kind of thing, because I've heard it in the past, big-name wide receiver switching teams in the offseason generally don't produce to the levels that they did on their previous team. So even though you had the outliers like Stefan Diggs or DeAndre Hopkins, more than likely you get more of a Kenny Galladay kind of situation. Maybe not as bad in the case of Tyreek Hill, but disappointing. We thought Kenny Galladay was going to step in and be an alpha, be all this, be the Detroit-Matt Stafford connection Kenny Galladay when he went to New York, and it was far from that. So there are multiple cases of these big-name receivers changing teams where they don't produce. Not something I'm really wanting to make a bet on at the position that you have to draft Tyreek Hill in a startup. So reasoning behind the rankings, there it is. Mike Gusecki, does this do anything for you? This is one I looked at and I looked at and I looked at and I'm like, I I don't know what to do here with Mike Gusecki. Now, added target competition with Tyreek Hill in town. You know, I, I haven't dug into the numbers enough here, Mike. So I'm, I'll talk it out with you here. Mike Gusecki, what was his targets last year? Man, it seemed like he got way too many that he didn't need. <laughs> Just because they didn't well, have anything other than Jalen Wild. I'll pull it up here. Yeah. But just for reference for us in our dynasty ranks, we both ranked Mike Gusecki tight end 12. And yes. right behind him would have been Cole Komet, and then a tier below would have been like Albert O, Gronk, McBride, Ertz, etc. Yeah. I mean, we, we couldn't when we did our ranks, we just could not put him any lower. It just there's no way you could put uh, him lower. 111 targets last year. Okay. In that offense. So so there you go. So so I guess Mike. To me, I'm not going to move him down a lot. But I will say proceed with caution. Because at what they paid 
Tyreek Hill, he's going to command a well, well over 100 targets. Like, if he's healthy, he's going to command well over 100 targets. We know Tua loves Jalen Waddle. Where they drafted him, trading up to go get him, he's going to command well over 100 targets. Which then gets to the point of, can Mike Kosicki sustain a target share, which makes him a tight end one? That I don't know, man. If I'm being completely honest and walking this through at the first... C4D, we like to do some of this stuff just right here with you, walk you through. First time I thought about this part, I do not know that I can truly advise that he's going to be safe with what we've seen. I know they've, I know everything they've done to keep him there, and I don't know, man. I don't, I don't know that Gasecki's someone I feel very, very good about right now, if I'm being honest. So... Jalen Waddle last year had 140 targets to Mike Gusecki's 111. And you add a guy in Tyreek Hill who's 150, 160 target kind of guy. Yeah. What does that really do for him? This is where I struggled where, like, man, well, it, the, it, old, it beca- the old cliche of too many mouths to feed does come into to effect here. But in the same sense, when I'm looking at dynasty rankings for tight ends, I mean, the guys behind Mike Gusecki aren't that no, inspiring as not. well. Like, like Cole Komet, all right. He is what he is. But like Albert O, like everybody's favorite sleeper. Talk about target competition in his offense. He also has a lot of target competition in that offense with Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, Tim Patrick, Javante Williams out of the backfield, and whatever the hell KJ Hamler brings to the table. So that kind of situation, it's like, well, I can't logically put Gasecki behind Albert O if my only reasoning is target competition. That doesn't make sense to me. And I can't put him behind a guy like Cole Komet because we really don't know what the hell Cole Komet is at this point. He's had a few nice games, but it's still Cole Komet. We're just drafting him based on what we think potential is. It's kind of this arbitrary zone of tight end one where you're a tight end one, it really doesn't fucking matter. If you're tight end 12 or you're tight end 20, you're kind of basically the same dude, aren't you? Well, well that I mean, I, I, I think that's exactly what I'm trying to say. Um I don't think we have any disagreement there. I, my point is that if you had Gasecki as this guy that's going to get over 100 targets, that's the reason that you like him. Because, Mike, if we go back and look, I mean, the two seasons before, he's in that mid-80 range, and he's getting 50 catches. Yeah. Like, if that, if he get, I, I mean, if you're just being honest about it, though, if he drops 30 targets and drops 15 to 20 catches, I'm not saying he's not a tight end one. I'm with you that. Below him, you know, you're projecting for Alberto. You're projecting for Cole Komet still. My only point is that it's you, – you just cannot expect him to be someone that's helping you win weeks. That That's ultimately the point, I think, with Gusecki. He's fine if you absolutely have to rely on him and you had to throw him in at, at your tight end spot, but he is not someone that should make you feel good and cozy at tight end at all. So let's just say he stays the same as a literally – Tight end 12, tight end one, but just yeah. way more grosser. <laughs> right? Yes. Just, yeah. Just, no, that's that's correct. Any, more any, up, any, any of that upside, you know, I just don't see it anymore. It's gone out the window. Yeah. Hey, if we're going to talk about tight ends, this leads me into our strategy portion of what we had, what I wanted to discuss. Yeah. Great discussion, great thread by Scott Connor. You can find him on Twitter. I believe it's at Dynasty Leverage. 
He also has a dope Patreon. Big shout out to him. Go check it out. But he had a nice thread about tight ends. And if you play Dynasty and you're sitting there, I'm sure everybody, especially in tight end premium leagues, everybody has these favorite sleeper tight ends, right? These guys that, hey, in the you know 15th, 16th, 17th round, maybe even later, maybe off the waiver wire, these are guys I want to go out and grab. And I'm just going to hold. I'm going to hoard some of these tight ends and just see which ones break out. His Twitter thread was basically showing how athleticism, your RAS score, or your 40 time correlates to you breaking out as a tight end one. And we just kind of demonstrated that tight end one is kind of just an arbitrary thing, right? Being tight end 11, tight end 12 really doesn't fucking matter. It really doesn't. But we'll use that as a threshold of can you hit tight end one numbers in a season? And I'm not going to dive into all the data points, but go check it out on Twitter. Go look at it. But essentially, he summed it up by saying that these guys, if they are not running good 40s or don't have good relative athletic scores, RAS scores, they very rarely hit the tight end one threshold. And one of the points was don't invest, don't don't keep holding them on your rosters when you can just sell them, re-roll into something else, And then if they do produce, they're not athletic, but they do produce like a Dalton Schultz or a Hunter Henry, they do show you that they can produce at that tight end one level, you can go and buy them later. And we'll kind of dive into that right now about how even some of these guys like the Dalton Schultz, their value is still depressed. You don't have to pay a whole lot to get them. I know I had you read that thread, Adam. What were some of your takeaways just from reading that? Yeah, I, I like a lot of the thoughts there because I think because of how shallow the position is, Mike, one of my initial thoughts was this. The reality of tight end is it is the most shallow position that we play in offensive side of the ball in dynasty fantasy football. So everybody wants to chase the next cheap tight end that's going to way ascend in ranks and become this tight end one. Well, we just talked about Mike Gusecki, and being a back-end tight end one really doesn't move the needle for fantasy teams, dynasty teams especially. So keep that in mind. But I think it's a very good thought because if you're talking about certain tight ends that are going to break into that next range, what, what what should they what should that look like? What are the things that we're gonna chase? Like you shouldn't just chase every name at tight end because oh they're a tight end that's not heard of. We should just take all what does that look like? What are the characteristics? What are some of the things we want out of that person? And, and ultimately, at the tight end position, one of the most important things, not the only thing, but one of the most important things does need to be athleticism. And if you're talking about athleticism, and it's a later round guy, you know, round 14 lower, and there's not a lot of athleticism, what is the upside really? Like, can it be there? Maybe. But it's not that likely, right, if they're not very athletic. So that that does need to be something that's discussed and thought about as a bigger picture here. If you think about over history, the best tight ends in the game, right, just from – fantasy football history so we'll just go back like 10 15 years right yeah think about the the top tight ends right now kyle pitts 
dynasty tight end one for most people. Very athletic, extremely athletic. It's ex- he is the most, arguably one of the most, if not the most, athletic tight end. Travis Kelsey, very athletic. Yes. Mark Andrews, very athletic. Yes. George Kittle, extremely athletic. Very, very athletic. TJ Hawkinson, good athlete. Darren Waller, almost a freak athlete. I mean, he was drafted as a wide receiver. We don't have numbers on Pat Fryermuth, but I would assume just by looking at how he plays, he looks like a pretty damn good athlete. He moves and, very well. And, and even if he's not elite athlete, he, you know he's a good athlete. We, we do know that. Dallas Goddard, good athlete. Yeah. Go Noah Fant. Very good. In that Kyle Pitts. Elite like, yeah, yeah. Elite athlete like Kyle Pitts. Yeah. So these are the guys generally that you want to invest in right now in Dynasty who are good athletes. But back through history, Antonio Gates, Tony Gonzalez, former basketball players. You're, you're not really a college yeah. Division One athlete playing basketball if you're not a good athlete. Yeah. That's not the way the system works. Okay. No. Yeah. <laughs> unless unless you're seven foot four or seven foot three, right? <laughs> right. Like the, the big dummies, but even those guys, I would venture to say if they did some athletic testing, they do a lot more than like the average person. Jimmy Graham, again, very athletic. Yeah. Vernon Davis, extremely athletic. Like Uber the, athletic, yeah. Probably what the, one of the back, most back then, the he most was, athletic tight end in history. Back, back when he was playing, he was Mile, he was the athlete at tight end. I mean, you don't get the nickname Click Clack. <laughs> Click Clack, right. Right, without being an athlete. <laughs> so yeah. He was Mr. Under Armour there for a while. But the point is, the, these elite tight ends, the ones that we're always trying to chase, the elite producers, are usually very, very, very athletic. Good athletes. There are some outliers, Right. And that was the point of Scott Connors, where he's, he's posting how many outliers there are relative to how many tight end one seasons they were. And the outliers are, are kind of few and far between, and the hit rate is not that good. Yeah. This lends you to believe that you do need to chase these athletes if you want to get some of these elite tight end producers. It's not to say that you won't get good tight ends who break out who are not athletic. See Dalton Schultz, see Hunter Henry. It can happen. It's just a rare case. And when yeah. they do break out, you can come back and purchase them later. So Dalton Schultz is a good example. In your estimation, in a tight end premium, 12-team Superflex, what would be a reasonable price to pay for Dalton Schultz right now today in your mind? Um, I, tight end is one of those positions that's tougher – because some owners are just very weird with how they value them. But I think probably the reasonable fair, probably getting to that early second is something that should get most owners or most team managers to move off of a Dalton Schultz or at least consider that. Yeah, I think that's probably a very fair range. Hunter Henry, not the most sexiest tight end. But produces I think he's going to be lower. He, definitely lower. I would say probably in that like mid to back end second range, definitely get it done. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, if you're willing to offer that, you know, second round pick and it's not getting it done, that, that person's just not going to move off of Hunter Henry because no one's coming with more. It's just not. So some of the tight ends that, that Scott had listed in that thread that got me to thinking and got me so intrigued about it right. was – Irv Smith, and you and I can talk about 
neither one of us, I don't think, is in on Irv Smith. If I have any Irv Smith in Dynasty, it'd kind of be a shock to me. I don't think that's a guy I invest in heavily. But another name on there that really got me thinking was Brevin Jordan. You, you and I both kind of had an affinity for Brevin Jordan, and we ranked him fairly aggressively in our dynasty ranks for what Brevin Jordan has produced. When that name popped up, I'm like, man, this thread is really making me think because Brevin Jordan is one of my favorite targets. But if what Scott is showing is true, why am I holding so many Brevin Jordan shares if the likelihood of Brevin Jordan ever becoming a thing is very rare? And if Brevin Jordan becomes a thing, I can always buy back in to Brevin Jordan at a later date for not very much more. So one of the things that was talked about in the thread was, what would you do if you hold a lot of Brevin Jordan? And Scott had talked about, unless it's a unless it's a two tight end, like an extreme start two tight end league, look for an early third, late second, somewhere in there. We roll into a position like running back, you know, uh, a Zamir White, a Brian Robinson, um, Ty Chandler, you know, one of these kind of guys where you are hoping that they pop and have like that kind of Elijah Mitchell or Antonio Gibson, like rise James Robinson, that kind of thing where they, they pop and you get to sell them for a first and a second or whatever the case may be. Or if it's in one of these other leagues, like these start two tight end premium leagues, he didn't seem like he was very keen on moving them, which I can understand because in those leagues, those start two tight end leagues, the values kind of get construed or uh, misconstrued. Where really that second tight end or your depth tight ends, you're just looking for warm bodies who you can just plug in so you don't take fucking zeros. Right? That's let me get a guy who's in there. And this led us down the rabbit hole where Adam and I were talking about it real quick before we hopped on air about what would you do in these best ball leagues with these kind of tight ends. So I'll let you kind of speak to that, Adam. What would you do with a guy like Brevin Jordan? Are you comfortable selling him for a third round, an early third round, or a late second round pick in a best ball league? Or are you more inclined to hold after today's new information that came out? So I, I think the the thread I, that I saw briefly, and first of all, I'll say this, it was really good. That's why one of the reasons I really like Scott Connor, whether you agree or disagree with him, he is a maniac, and he absolutely dives everything in. He is completely invested and will go to the nth degree to get you stats and information like that thread there, which ultimately, whether you like it or not, it, it at least makes you think and decide, do I like it? Do I not like it? Why do I like it? Why don't I like it? And how do I want to proceed? And ultimately, that should be what every person that you listen to that gives you content, that's how you should take that information. Whether you agree with it or disagree with it, process it and then think what's good, what's bad, and how do I proceed for myself as a dynasty manager? So when I do that and I think about it, I'll say this, Mike, in, in lineup, in a, in a lineup league, absolutely re-roll it because how, how good are you going to feel about starting Brevin Jordan Week in and week out in the lineup league. Yeah, not at all. Man, you're, you're, I mean, if you're doing it, I'm hoping you're just admitting rebuild and not trying to win many games. Yeah, 
Yeah. Right? Like, that's what Mike and I would do. Here you go. Here's our Brevin Jordan every single week. We don't even care. Here he is. Tight end. We can we got. Right? But when I start thinking about basketball, I do agree because to an extent, I agree that you would like to take your shot in that second, third round, especially where he's talking about targeting a pick. A lot of guys we like this year, Ty Chandler, Jerome Ford, Tyler Algier, those types. If they hit, yes, they are probably going to outweigh whatever Brevin Jordan can become, especially knowing his RAS score. Brevin Jordan, you know, Dynasty Degenerates, if you're listening, you were probably tuned into the Debbie side and know that what he did at the pro day did not help him in any capacity. His RAS score was not very good, but he started to show decently in the back half of the season for Houston. So there's a little bit of a rise because of the name and what he's done on the football field. Now, when you talk best ball to kind of get, I wanted to preface all that, but then I want to get to your question. The reason I would, if, if I would hesitate on that in best ball, these would be the reasons if I'm contending. So once again, four D's, let's talk about direction real quick, right? Because I think this is very important. What is your direction? If your direction is rebuild, move him. Move him for that second, third, re-roll, try to get something that's going to shoot for more upside. I'm all in on that side. But if your direction is contending, and if I'm playing best ball, which we've talked about in other episodes, has it's different than lineup. And the way you think about your team needs to be different than lineup. In best ball, if I'm contending now, the opposite, I want either Kyle Pitts, Mark Andrews, some of these guys that are week in and week out, very reliable high-end guys. Or what I want if I don't have those is I want to get down to maybe tight end eight and lower, and I want four, five, six of these guys. And I want to take the best weeks of them every single week. And when I get to Brevin Jordan, the reason I think in best ball, Mike, you need to consider this. So I just looked, right? It's upside because of youth and what we've seen in college and some of the things we like about him, albeit his RAS score is not very good. He basically didn't play until week eight. Week eight, he had uh, he had good games in week eight, week 12, and week 14. The rest of his weeks are, in best ball, going to be pretty much unusable. But in those weeks, he's tight end five, he's tight end eight, he's tight end 12. So if you're going the route of I don't have an elite tight end, you know, that that's from week eight to week 16, week 17. I'm still very much wanting to have Brevin Jordan because what if he's more than that too? What what if he's more than that? And he he does that seven, eight, nine weeks of the season. That's someone in best ball that does matter. So I, I think there's good things to think about on both sides. In lineup, I'm 100% moving them. If I'm rebuilding, I'm 100% moving them. But on contending side, I think about what I have in my tight end room before I just move them for a late second. My my only counter to that would be in best ball. I think for me, Brevin Jordan and Irv Smith, right? Just pulling up a lot of random dynasty ranks, kind of where people have them, right? Mm-hmm. They're kind of in that that twenty range, right? That early twenties. Mm-hmm. They're valued pretty high. What's the difference in like a best ball league of having one of these guys who I think what Scott is showing is they kind of get overvalued and a little bit overhyped, 
mm-hmm. based on what the odds are that they're going to break out or actually do something. What's stopping you from trading those for the, the late second, the early third, and then going and turning around spending like a mid to late third or, you know, getting one of these other guys as a throw in or possibly on the waiver wire, like a guy like John U. Smith or Gerald Everett or Hayden Hurst, right, at Cincinnati, just a best ball dart, uh, Austin Hooper. Bob Tunyon, O.J. Howard, uh, C.J. Uzama, Josiah DeGuara, right? What What's stopping you from just going, yes, I just need bodies and it's best ball and I kind of just want guys to plug in there when they, mm-hmm. when they fall into the end zone by chance on a given week? If, if one of these guys in Irv Smith or Brevin Jordan can actually fetch you a decent enough pick where you could re-roll that into – a Brian Robinson or a Kyron Williams, if you still like him, uh, you know, maybe like a, a Trey McBride or a Jelani Woods, you know, if he keeps rising up boards, what's to stop you from investing in something else that may have a bigger boom potential and then spending something a little bit later just to kind of get that body for best ball, just that, that tight end who may trip and fall into six points. Yeah. I mean, well, to your point, um, I, I wouldn't say that doesn't mean you don't invest in waiver wire tight ends. I mean, like I just said, I, I would like to have a lot of those. But I think where the difference would be for me is because it's a scarce position. If Brevin Jordan shows what he did in the back half of the year, even if it's the same, if it's no better for the first six, seven games, two, three, four pop weeks, that that's someone that I think has – trade value that's better than necessarily the early third, especially okay. in the season. So I think that would be my my reasoning why. Um, but listen, if you want to flip Brevin Jordan and re-roll it in the second round, like I, I, I'm still saying it's a good thing to do. My, my only caveat would be if you're a contender, he might be more valuable in your lineup and may offer more in trade later than today. So just some examples of, like, last year's dudes. Like a, a James O'Shaughnessy. Yeah. Got you 8.9 points per game in a tight end premium league. Like, these kind of dudes just kind of hang out there on the waiver wire. And Eric Ebron. I don't – this dude may not even have a job. I think what, you, what, what you're getting, I understand the point that you might be able to get more. But – Really to the point of me like going out, I actually made a few of these deals today after the stretch, is these are deals where are very reasonable but still have an end game in mind where I don't think you're hurting yourself by taking less, quote-unquote less. I sent you one in one league, right, for Brevin Jordan for a late second. I don't even remember what the pick was. 211. 211, 211. Yeah. And it's one that you had told me that, yeah, like I probably would have taken that pick. I went, by the time I saw my phone, I was going to go press accept. And uh, another manager who spanned with two took it for the 301 or 302. I think for me, it's it's elaborating the disconnect between what Brevin Jordan's value should be and what Brevin Jordan's value is right now. And yeah, and I get it. I get it. If you want to be one of the, the stingy managers and kind of hold out or, or wait till in season and maybe he has a blow up game to try to move it, good, good, go for, go for it. 
Yeah. What I'm trying to make is a point, though, if if you want to do it right now, it's not a bad move for you to do. No. And it's one that I think is easily accepted across multiple leagues. Multiple yeah. people would be interested in it because they'll see Irv Smith or Brevin Jordan. They'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is my favorite sleeper tight end. Like I've got him in other leagues. Let me. You're only asking for a late second or an early third. Just sign me up. Yeah. I, so, and so I think I, for you, you listening at home, this is definitely something that can get done and can get done fairly easily. No, I, I, I agree to that extent. And I also think the way he broke it down was important because it's also process over results. And yeah. process over results shows you without a shot of a doubt that the better process is re-rolling into a position that has a better shot of achieving more of a boom, right? What the process is showing you is if Brevin Jordan hits and becomes this top 10, top 12 solidified option, it's more of the rare case. And so that being said, if it happens, one, you can buy back in cheaper later. And two, the better bet is actually to take a shot on something that has more upside. So I, I understand exactly why you'd want to do it. I think it was a really good thought out process. I love the way he broke it down. The only, the only cat, I think he's hundred percent right, except for in best ball on a contending side, I may have a little more pause outside of that. I'm, I'm fully aboard. I think one thing too, that needs to be mentioned before we get out of here too, is that this is just in regards to tight ends who don't have good forties or, like really good or not even really good, just not bad RAS scores, RAS scores. Right. So right. depending on dynasty ranks and how people feel about certain players, it's not out of the realm of possibility where you can trade a Brevin Jordan and go into an Adam Troutman who has a good RAS score, who has good athletic measurables, who by this thread has been shown as more likely to have that kind of breakout at some point. And this is another thing that I'd heard on like Scott talking on his podcast was that I think he also has a, a Twitter thread about it too for tight ends. But tight end breakouts, as we know, they take a while. You know, you and I were devastated that Hunter Long didn't do shit. But would it shock you if in three years Hunter Long has a top 12 dynasty or a top 12 tight end season under no. his belt? No. And, and even when we were saying that he was a you know someone we were interested in last year we knew it was because it was he was really cheap and we also said you're gonna have to be patient and i think what scott was pointing out that even though that we say we have to be patient i know i'm guilty of this too sometimes we we aren't patient enough right like dynasty managers going, are not patient people we're not yes, patient people yes, let's be honest let's put the cards on the table we don't like to be patient that's part of why it's troublesome though to invest in those tight ends because if you're not going to be patient you're going to want to sell them for nothing yes yeah i think for me going forward judging by this thread in this discussion i'll be looking for those tight ends that are people's favorite sleepers the john bates the brevin jordans the irv smiths the trey mckitties and i think i'm just better off if i either one try to re-roll them into an early third or or b try to re-roll them into another tight end who has a better shot of breaking out because of their athletic ability at some point. Yeah. And I think in the long run, this is what Scott talks about a lot where, where his thinking is always kind of different than most people's is because he's playing a portfolio game. Sure. Absolutely. Where he's, he's got 60 leagues 
And I heard it on his, not his latest podcast, but the one I was just finishing up on my drive home today was he's talking about if he's right on 60% of his moves he makes across 60 leagues, he's in the money for it. Big time. If you're talking about one or two leagues total, that's all you play in, kind of a different strategy going into it, right? Like these leagues, you got to be more well thought on what you're going to do because if you fail in both leagues by making the same kind of move, you're fucked for both leagues. You're not winning any money. If if I fail over 15 shares across 60 leagues, okay, well, great. I still have 45 leagues where I didn't do this deal, didn't do this kind of thing where I might have been right on. So we're fine on that. But I think yeah. for me, on my portfolio and just kind of how I play it, not this massive 60 league thing, but just in general for me, when it comes to these kind of tight ends, I'm going to be more inclined just to play the long game and either cash out, re-roll, give me, give me the late second, the early third, or B, let me go see what people are feeling about. Like crusty, shitty dudes that haven't broke out to our standards like Evan Ingram. Right, people are so down on Evan Ingram. Let me see if I can trade a Brevin Jordan straight up for Evan Ingram, because at this point, I know Evan Ingram could still have a later career breakout, like true breakout where he has some true dynasty value. But I also know he's athletic. I know Brevin Jordan's not athletic, and judging by the thread, what happens with non-athletic tight ends, his chances of becoming a, a tight end one or having a tight end one season aren't very fucking good. I think they're probably better with a guy like Evan Ingram. Yeah, that, I, very good point there. And I, I wanted to get to a point that you made at the beginning there. Um, Dynasty Degenerates, if you're listening, I think the majority of us are playing multiple leagues, right? I mean, Mike's trying to get me in a startup every other day. I, I, he wants me to do it, – it, it's March. He wants me in two startups <laughs> during work hours. Here we go. You're on the clock. You're on the clock in five minutes. Make your picks now. Let's go. Right? Listen, we like to play, man, and and I enjoy that. I, I kid around, but I enjoy that. I think most of you guys listening, you girls listening, you do too. But if you're one of the listeners that only plays in a few leagues, I think what he hit on is not just about – Brevin Jordan. This is about your players, the people you own in general. Now, what I want to say here is this. We talk about all the time trading off of these elite asset players. A lot of why we do that is we have experience in trading off of them. And a lot of times we'll 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 make a we'll make a move. People will say, oh, that seems stupid. Why would you do that? Our process, we think about this in the future is this: these assets that we're acquiring, there is some risk because we don't know what these futures will become, but we've seen enough classes to know the, the realistic outcome for a lot of them, how much the upside is. And then also, even if the upside doesn't come to fruition, how many outs you have to get out for some of those players. That's why we do that. If you're only one, two, or three leagues and you have Jamar Chase and you're hearing us and you're like, I, I just can't get myself to trade off of him for these uncertain assets. Not telling you you have to, but we speak a lot of times because we have multiple shares of multiple players. And what Mike just talked about, what Scott talks about is if you're hitting 60, 70%, 
you could lose on a lot of deals. You're still going to win out in the bigger picture. So if you're only playing in one, two, or three leagues, and you're a little more hesitant to trade off of a very established player for completely unsure picks, I can understand where you're coming from. And you don't, I'm not, we're not telling you you have to do that. And, and, and so if you are not doing that and you're listening, like I'm unsure because I only have a few leagues, that's fine. But if you're playing in 10 plus, 20 plus leagues, the reality is that if you hit on 60%, 70% of your trades, what you're winning is way out gaining what you're losing. And so while it's risky, it's profitable and it's been proven profitable. I think that was a huge thing, driving home and listening to that, him talking about his portfolio mindset and how when people come and ask you for trade advice, it is pretty important that you kind of caveat, like how many leagues do you play in, right? Because I can give you one example. When when I think about trades, I'm just thinking on the macro level, right? We have talked about knowing your league mates and knowing the intricacies of it. And we can talk you through it because we'll have an idea because we also put some of that into effect in single leagues, like Adam and I will go and be like, all right, I'm doing this in this league. This is my direction. This is what I'm trying to accomplish. We'll build a trade for that specific league. So that is very important. When I'm talking about guys like Brevin Jordan, this is on the macro sense where I have Brevin Jordan. And when I looked at it, I went, damn, this makes so much sense to me on a macro level on something I want to do across all my leagues. So I went through every one of my leagues. I pulled up Dynasty Dynasty Nerds GM. Great tool. Shout out to those guys for what they have built because I can easily search. Where do I have Brevin Jordan rostered at? I can pull up those leagues, and I pull up the leagues. All right. One of the first caveats, how heavy is the tight end premium? Is it a two tight end premium? Like, is this something that I need to, like, hold on to these guys with everything I have? Fuck the noise. Fuck what Scott Connor's saying. Like, this is important that I have tight ends in these leagues. Okay. It's not. Is this a start two tight end league where I'm just looking at just dudes to throw in there? And then like Adam mentioned, for his sake, where we differ on it is we have a different opinion in best ball. It doesn't affect me too much in best ball because of some of the things I said, but I fully understand what he's saying. Yes, that should factor in onto how you feel about it. So if you don't want to make that kind of move in best ball, go for it. But these are the things I figure out. I go and I see where I have Brevin Jordan. And the next thing I do, I'm sitting at work and I'm going, all right, Brevin Jordan, who's got the 301? Who's got the 302? Who's got the 211? Who's got the 212? Maybe somebody had hit the like button on Brevin Jordan. Like somebody had shown some interest in Brevin Jordan. All right, maybe it's not for a pick. Maybe I can get a wide receiver that I like off of him. Or maybe I can get a running back or something that I like off of him. Or package some stuff together. But these are the kind of like macro moves, the process moves where I'm trying to hit 60 70% of these to be right. And this is going to come down to, like, a lot of these leagues where I made this deal in, I'll be drafting these fucking picks that I traded for next week. Like, these are pre-NFL drafts right. starting starting at April 1st. Let's go. We're drafting. Timing. So, yes, yeah. this is some yeah. of the timing things that, that work into play, too. So sure. that is just something to think about, too, when you're taking advice from people doing podcasts or giving dynasty advice kind of have that that filter on. Are they talking about it from a a whole general strategy or is this more in, individual? In, uh, are, are they giving me advice based on if I'm playing in like one single league? Like if I'm in one single league, 
I think I would tend to be a little bit more conservative in how I do it because if I if I'm only in one league and I shit the bet on some trade or I shit the bet on some 4D move that I'm trying to do and it backfires on me, I'm gonna be That's dog all shit. You got. I'm gonna be dog shit for a while. Like, how yeah. bad is this gonna set me back? If I'm doing it out of five leagues out of 25 that I play in, all right, well, I fucked up on five. Move on. The, you know, the other the other 20 are okay. I didn't make that mistake here. Let's learn from it. Let's get better, but let's keep going. But that's what Adam's yeah. talking about, that 60%, 70%. If it's on a macro level, it makes more sense. I don't know if I want to be that risky if it's a single, this is my only league. It's, you know, Scott had mentioned on his podcast, like the example of it being a $500 home league. The only league I play in, that's a lot of fucking money on the line to like try to bring big brain it sometimes. Where yes. I think that's an important thing that we as content creators, Adam and I, when we give out advice, we need to be cognizant and actively asking people, how many leagues are you playing in? Because this will change slightly the type of advice that you give. Like, don't, don't, you don't need to be that aggressive, bro. You got one league. Yeah. You got one league. You don't have to try to – it could pay off massive. If you're comfortable with that kind of risk, fuck it. Let's go. Let's yeah. give it a try. But if you're not comfortable with that risk, here's the advice that I would give. Exactly. And that's where, like, when we just did a team review right before we did this, right? So when we do a team review, in a situation where there's not that many leagues, we may be more, okay, you know what? Instead of taking four, five picks, which are completely unsure for Jamar Chase, let, let, let's just downs here. Let's take someone that's a little more sure, like a T. Higgins in a first, because you still know T. Higgins is really, really good. And if the first fucks you, you're, you're not screwed. Whereas if you take four widespread picks over the next three years and they all miss, you, you're going to hate your one, two, three leagues you're in. So some of that's being cognizant of that. And then also, to, to Mike's point, before we get out of here, which we're already we're over an hour every single week, that's what we do. You know, it's it's here we are. But if you're doing that and you, and you you take some of these thoughts in from different people you listen to, and I advise you you at least assess several different content creators, and then like Red says, be mindful of the content you consume. If you if you're listening to someone and you think it's all garbage, stop. Don't listen to them anymore. But you don't have to take every single piece of advice from every single person you listen to and apply it all. You need to think about it and be cognizant of what you put into action. So the macro level Mike talked about is primarily what we're discussing here. But the micro dynamics, knowing your league mates, that can be very key. Because especially when we're talking about those later, second, early, third picks, if you know in some of your leagues this guy doesn't really value picks. This girl doesn't really value picks. That's a perfect, perfect trade partner for some of these type deals where it's, they know Brevin Jordan has shown a couple things. That's a name that we all know that has been discussed in the dynasty and Debbie circle for a few years. Okay. I, these are the people that I can absolutely send that out to right now and get a deal done today. And maybe in the case that, you know, your league mates, you can shoot a little higher. What if they're sitting on 204, right? Like a you go to another tier there. So tying all that in, the 4D mindset is trying to kind of all tie in macro, micro. When you listen to people, think about it from a macro level and then say, okay, how do I apply that into my league? That, that's ultimately what we want to preach here is 
the totality of everything, how you make all the information you digest, whether it's from us or other people, and how do you apply it to yourself and make it the most actionable for you in your dynasty leagues, whether that's one, two, or three, or that's 60. That's what we want to do, thinking 4D. I love it. I think this is a great way to end it. As always, if you like what we're talking about, you want to get more in-depth, you want to communicate directly with us, I implore you, come check out our Discord. $1 a month gets you started off, gets you in there. The Patreon gets you the extra podcast as well, patreon.com forward slash South Harmon. We appreciate you tapping in, tuning in, staying with us this long. 12 episodes in the book, Adam. Anything you want to say to find people before we close it out for the night? Just remember, when your league mates are playing chess, play 40 chess. 12 episodes in. I still love it. That's going to do it for us. We're out of here. Peace. Peace.